This is David's Book Talk, bringing authors and book lovers together in a unique way since 2009. Visit us at davidsbooktalk.com and join the conversation at facebook.com slash davidsbooktalk. But first, pull up a chair, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Here's your host, David English. Hello and welcome to David's Book Talk. And boy, we have one of my favorite guests. He's only been on twice, but he's still my favorite guest. It's Andrew Child, and he's written a book, his new Jack Reacher book with his brother Lee Child. is called No Plan B. Hello. David, good morning. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for having me as a guest. You, know, you have any idea what that means to me to hear you say that? I mean, I, I have authors where I'll call them and they'll be like, oh, do we have to do this now? <laughs> and you feel like, oh boy, why don't I just hang up the phone now because it's only going to get worse. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's so nice to hear that. I wish I could hear that. And most times you do. Most times authors are happy because, you know, they're, they've got a book out and, and they've worked hard on it and they want to talk about it. Yeah, and I mean, you, you can't pay an author a bigger compliment than reading their book. And the fact that, uh, you know, you always take the time to read the books and you always have, you know, really good questions, it just makes the whole thing a pleasure. So thank you. So, well, well now I feel even better. Boy, you're going to boost my ego. I'm going I'm to be hard to live with now. <laughs> now, this is book number 28, is it? I think it's 27. 27. I think, yeah, I, yeah. I'm off by one. 27. When you had that many books, I mean, that's a lot of books in this series. It is a lot of books, yeah. Is, is there any thought to ending the series at all? I mean, has there ever been any thought to ending the series? Well, I mean, Lee was was thinking he might have to when he was deciding that he didn't want to write solo anymore. Um, but then, you know, that's why, why the, where the idea of teaming up came from. And now that we're doing that, um, you know, we're just enjoying it. It's really fun to do. Um, so really, as long as people keep liking the books and keep buying them, um, my view is let's just keep on writing them. You know, we haven't got any kind of goal in mind for, you know, we want to write a certain number or we want to cover a certain number of themes or anything like that. We just, um, every year, as long as people want another reach, we will do our best to, to provide one. Exactly. And and I, I wasn't saying because I wanted the series to end. I was just curious. We always get curious about authors, what they go through. I mean, you hear these stories about Conan Doyle wanting to stop Sherlock Holmes and Agatha Christie not wanting to write Hercule Poirot and you think oh my god what if they had right in the middle of, think of all the books we wouldn't be reading absolutely yeah I mean look at uh, what happened with Conan Doyle and the backlash when he did try to, to end um, it's crazy I mean yeah. it's just people don't understand what authors go through I mean the creative process is a difficult process it's not like you sit and it just and it just flows from you you got to think about everything you're writing it's true, you know, and, and um, so much goes into it that, that um, you know, we, we obsess over, you know, each word, each piece of punctuation, and, um, you know, you, you prob people probably don't even notice a lot of those things. In fact, if we're doing them the job right, it, it's probably better that people don't notice because you just want them to be caught up in the story and just start at the beginning and just be pulled all the way through to the end, you know. That if, I think if you're doing it right, the, me the mechanics of it, the mechanism um, isn't really obvious, but, um, you know, that mechanism's hard to put together properly. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot that goes in. And then, uh, you know, when you're up against a deadline or you're running out of time, that's kind of the frustrating thing because um, if the words aren't flowing for some reason, there's, there's nothing you can really do to make them, you know? Right. I like this kid, Jed Starmer. I mean, he, he kind of takes over the book at, at, you know, in some ways, this kid. I mean, and, and, and you're wondering in the beginning, who is this guy? And why are they talking about him? And what is he going to have to do with the plot? And I guess that you do that intentionally just to tease the reader, right? Yeah, it's partly that, and it's partly to sort of keep the suspense going, you know, because um, I think books work really well if there's a kind of implied question that, you know, like you were just saying, you know, who is this kid? What's he got to do with the plot? You know, people, if they, if they sense a question, they naturally, humans are naturally hardwired to want the answer to that question. So hopefully it, it's a way that it keeps people turning the pages. And um, also we wanted something to kind of humanize the... Um, the, you know, the, one of the people who was, 
you know, could have been seen as, as, as a bit of a bad guy, you know. It, we wanted there to be a really good stake. You know, why would, why would Reacher care about saving the guy that he has to save in the end? Why would the reader care whether he got saved? You know, so by adding that kid into the mix, you know, without giving too much away, um, it just sort of raised the stake a little bit as to why it was important in the end for Reacher to do what he did. Exactly, and it were, it's very effective, and, and, and yet yeah, tantalizing too. And like I said, you, you have I have to know, and, it, and, you're, and it's exactly what it does. It makes you want to keep reading, and now everybody's like, "Who is this kid?" Now I want to read the book, yeah. which is exactly what I want. <laughs> I want people to read your book. But this book, I should tell people, comes out on the 25th of October. Um, this may or may not be airing before or after, and I'm not sure what. But every year, so. Reacher's going to be like a fall thing every year. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the idea. I don't think there's any plans to change that, yeah. How difficult is it to come up with a plot? I mean, you, you and your brother, you sit, do you sit down together and say, now what are we going to write about next? How does it work? I mean, what, who comes up with the first idea usually? Well, that's a really good question, and it, it works differently now when I'm working with him than, it, than I used to do it on my own because um, I was never a really hardcore plotter. You know, I didn't, I didn't outline the whole book in advance and then kind of rigidly stick to that, but I did like to have some kind of an idea of where the book was starting, where it was going, and how I was going to get there. But Lee doesn't. Um, he hates that. What he likes to do is really do all of his planning and plotting in little tiny pieces distributed throughout the whole book. So the, the process starts with us just trying to figure out how we want the book to begin. So that's all about, it can be about the mood, about the feel, about is it a winter book or a summer book? Is there a particular image that sprung into one of our minds? Is there um, a particular line that, that, that one of us thought of, you know, that would be a good opening line? And so, you know, last year's book, for example, Better Off Dead, um, we started with the idea of, of this barren kind of Arizona landscape with a single tree with a car crashed into it. You know, that was the impact. That, that image was what was what started it. This time the idea was, well, what if something happened, a tragedy, you know, a woman gets killed, um, and all of the other witnesses think it was suicide, but Reacher saw what really happened, you know. So it's the, you come up with that starting point, and then you use that as, as the sort of jumping off point where, where it generates all of those questions, you know. Who was the woman who got killed? Why did she get killed? Who killed her? What were they trying to hide? What were they trying to get back from the dead woman, you know? All of, so all of these questions emerge, and then, you know, we sit and we just try to answer those questions a little bit at a time, you know, and mainly the thing we're asking ourselves is, okay, what happens next? You know, what does Reacher do next? What does the, what do the bad guys do next? And then we just keep putting one foot in front of the other across that kind of tightrope until we reach the other side. So you keep asking yourself questions, and that that keeps the book going. That keeps, you know, the, the it makes it easier to write the book because you're, you're you're continually asking these questions. Exactly, and I think that um, from my experience, anyway, um, if you if you fall into the trap of outlining it too rigidly at the beginning, when you're outlining it. The best way I can describe it is it's as if you're kind of up above and looking down. It's like if, if the story is a, is a map, you know, somebody, the characters are going from the, from the starting point to the ending point through all kinds of different streets or roads or fields or whatever. If you look down, if you're outlining, it's like you're looking down on it from above and deciding where that person should go. When you're writing it, it's as if you're seeing it through the character's eyes. You're looking in the direction they're moving. And with an outline... If you just get each decision like, you know, a t like a fraction of a degree wrong, by the time you add all of those decisions up, you could be 180 degrees off. You could be completely off by the time you get to the end. But by making it so that we make the decisions as we go along, it means that each decision is kind of, we feel right for that particular point in the story and the way that the characters are feeling and what, you know, are they, are they angry? Are they scared? Are they you're tired, you know, whatever it may be, is, is right at that moment because we're not deciding it in advance. We're, we're working with what we have in front of us. And um, it was scary to start off with because 
because having an outline is a bit like having a safety net. You know, there could be a day when you wake up and you're, you, 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 you know, you're not feeling so creative and you can't think of ideas. Well, if you've got a safety net there, you can sort of, if you've got the outline there, you can just fall back on that. But if you don't, you have no excuse. You have to do it. There is no option. You just have to, you just have to do to, um, to make the story work. And, you know, it, it, it adds a little bit more discipline, I think, to the process as well. That would make a good title for a Reacher book, No Options. <laughs> it really would, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's funny, the, the titles that you come up with. And when you first hear a title, I love hearing what a new book that's coming out. And when I hear the title, I think, I wonder what that's about. And that's the whole idea. You get people interested from the very beginning before they even open the book. They're wondering, you know, what, what, what is this book about? Exactly. It's one of those implied questions that you want people to, uh, to, to really want to get the answer to. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a real art, actually. I think that you almost need a separate person to, to do the title because, um, you know, it's, it's that thing that grabs somebody and, and leads them to, uh, to want to read the book. Well, I, you read Jack Reacher, and Jack Reacher, I mean, I don't know what his IQ is, but it's got to be way up there because he's, he's able to see the future almost, like, like what's going to happen if he does so-and-so. And I think that's fascinating. And it leads me to believe that you guys are just brilliant in the fact that you can, you can, you can be Jack Reacher and his brain, I mean, his wonderful brain. I mean, he, he can see, well, if we do this, this is going to happen, and this is going to I love that. I love that process. But, you know, that's part of the fun of doing it because, um, you know, we obviously it happens in a, you know, really quickly in Reach's head. But, you know, we can take longer. We can sit around together and talk and say, well, you know, and really map out, what, well, what are the options? What might he do? And often we'll, we'll you know, you need that spark of, 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 of um, craziness almost. You know, we'll, we'll think of the, the sensible things that Reacher might do. And then probably later on that evening or something, one of us will be having a cup of coffee or whatever and then it'll suddenly be no this is what he would do <laughs> you know something that is feels absolutely right for him but at the same time has that little element of surprise too I'm, I'm curious about what kind of what kind of moods you go through when you write a book i mean do you do you have frustration do you have anger do you have moments where you just say i can't do this i gotta i just gotta get away from this well absolutely frustration because um and it sounds like a crazy thing because it's all about you know you're dealing with made-up people in made-up scenarios in your head you know it's not exactly you know like you're a you know a doctor or a surgeon or something you know or a police officer you know it's it's not life or death stuff but it feels like it is and the 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 um ethics personally i just find that the because i've done lots of different jobs over the years and I find that with writing the, the highs are the highest that I've ever experienced but also the lows are the lowest because when you feel like something's not working but you don't know why and you've racked your brains all day long and you still haven't got any closer to, to working out the solution it, it is really really frustrating so um, yeah it, it's, a, it's a combination of, of those things the really really good feeling when it does all come together and the real frustration when, when uh, you can't make you know, you can't make the strands of the plot tie up the way that you need them to tie up. So. But it certainly helps to have a brother to go to and say, help me with this, I'm stuck, I, I don't know what to do. Exactly, it does. And, you know, also my wife, Tasha, is, uh, is an author too, so, you know, because Lee's off, off at his own place, but, the, you know, Tasha and I will, will sit around and the conversations, if anyone was eavesdropping, would be ridiculous because at the early stages of the book, you know, and you don't have... I always kind of... People understand this a bit more now. I used to always talk about it being a bit like one of those instant photographs, you know, like a Polaroid or whatever. And for a long time, at the start of my career, people didn't know what they were because they were out of fashion. But, you know, those instant pictures have come back right. in a little bit more now, so people are more familiar. But, you know, when you take one of those pictures and the square comes out of the front of the camera, and at first it's just this kind of milky blur, and you can't really make anything out. But if you, if you watch the square, you know, everything just starts gradually coming into focus and you start realizing it comes to a certain point when you think, yeah, I can kind of see the outline of the picture here. And then after a little while, everything starts coming into focus. It's a bit like that when you're working on a book. So at the beginning, you just have this vague feeling of what it's going to be like. And if you try to describe that, you just sound crazy because you're saying, well, yeah, there's a guy and he's in this place and he does this thing and then there's this problem. And you sound ridiculous, but, you know, Tasha, I know what that's like to be in that stage of writing a book. So it's really useful to be able to just 
say things out loud because sometimes you think an idea is great, <clears throat> but it's only when you say it out loud that you realize, oh, actually, no, that, do that doesn't work at all. I've got to think of something else. So, uh, and, that's what, and that's what fascinates me about writers. They seem to know what does and doesn't work. Like if something's not working, they know it. But sometimes they don't know it right away. Sometimes they'll write half a book and they'll realize, you know, this is not working. I've got to start over again. And Absolutely. that's got and that's got to be frustrating when you've when you've written half a book and you got to start all over again. I I can't even imagine what that would be like. No, I think that would be the ultimate nightmare for me because you know I'm not the quickest of writers and the idea that you know you you work so hard to produce all these words and then you have to you have to get rid of them. Oh, it would be awful. I would hate that. I wonder uh, if I wonder if there's a way. If I'm sure you put it aside, but I wonder if there's a way that we tweak it into something that can be that can be finished. Yeah, probably. You know, most people that I've spoken to that have been in that situation, you know, they, they don't literally delete it. You know, they'll just cut it and put it in a file somewhere, and then somewhere down the road, you know, it'll be the basis for a short story or, you know, something else that, that um, it, so it's not completely wasted. It's just wasted in the moment. I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to see Stephen King's drawer of, of unused stories? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, that would be that, that would be wonderful. They should do a TV show of unused stories from authors and see and see where, what they come up with. Yeah. <laughs> see who's doing what crazy thing now. <laughs> yeah, I mean you could do really you could do some really kind of crazy meta show, can you? Where you you know you, you you actually just literally dramatize exactly what someone had written, and then you know the further it goes, the less sense it makes. <laughs> you know the characters themselves are like. Now you, you know, how many books have how many books have you written or co-written right as of right this moment? So 12 right now, I'm just, and we have just started the 13th. So you have started a new one. Of course, we can't yeah. talk about it. It's, I'm sure it's a secret. It's probably in some bank vault somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't even touch it, you know. But, but it's interesting. And your wife's written how many? Oh, my goodness. She's written, um, she's got 17 published, I believe. And she's got um, two more that are going through the process and will we'll be out in the next year or two. Does she enjoy writing as much now as she did when she started? She does. She absolutely loves writing, yeah. Um, I mean, she's one of those people that just loves writing so much that even if the books weren't getting published, she'd still want to be writing because um, she just loves the process. Isn't it weird? I mean, sometimes during the course of a day, I'll come up with this idea and I'll think, you know what, maybe I could work that into a book. You know, some kind of some kind of nugget of an idea of a, of a story idea, and maybe you know I don't know. Do you think everybody's a writer, and and there's just some that are better expressing it than others? Well, I think everybody is, yeah, because what it comes down to really is storytelling, and that is something that humans have been doing since the dawn of time. It's one of the things that sets us apart from from other animals is our ability to tell stories and the way that we use those stories, and we all do it. Everybody tells stories, don't we? You know, you'll see, you go home and talk to people in your family, or you'll right. go to the pub and talk to your friends, and, you know, there'll be some crazy incident that happened at work or something that you saw on the street or on a train or a bus, you know, everybody tells stories. The only difference is um, whether you uh, um, whether you ha whether you are prepared to take the time to you know spin them into something that is four or five hundred pages long. You know, and everybody could do it. Um, it's just that everybody's busy in their lives. Everybody's got other things distracting them. But it's and the thing is, I mean, telling a story verbally is the easy part. When you sit down and you want to write and you want to make it sound good and then you write it and you read it, you think, oh my God, that sounds horrible. You have to tweak it into something that sounds interesting. You do, it's certainly a different, the way that the words have to be put together is certainly different. And a really good example of that is, um, is dialogue. You know, people often will say that they want the dialogue to sound realistic. Well, actually, the last thing you want, because if you ever listen to somebody, if you if you listen into somebody's conversation on the bus or something, it will the number of times they repeat themselves, use the same word, say um or ah, uh, you know, or if you just wrote that verbatim in a book, people would think it was terrible. So you have to come up with this kind of alternative version that is actually not realistic, but for some reason sounds realistic when you read it. You know, so it's it's um it's very interesting the way that. 
words are sort of the tools of the trade, aren't they? And it's interesting to see how they have to be used in order to uh, to be convincing. I wonder how many of the, the 27 books are, are have incidents in them that your brother actually witnessed or had something, you know, or read about. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them will be things that... Um, you know that, that that will often be the the starting point. You know that uh, um, that, that triggers the kind of thought process that, <clears throat> after a few different you know versions, winds up being something that that is is useful in the story. You know, I, I remember. I think I think it's the book Gone Tomorrow that that starts out with a, a woman on a subway train in yes. New York. Um, I remember he he said that he'd been reading somewhere about um, something that the Israeli Secret Service had come up with for identifying um, potential suicide bombers. Um, and so, you know, that went through a few different versions in his head until finally, you know, it, it formed the, the genesis, at least for the beginning of the story, you know. So, yeah, there are a lot of things like that that, that come out. And, um, you know, we, we always try to do a thing where, you know, people say, write what you know, but we, we rather go with, we, we always say, well, actually, write what you feel, right? Because, you know, imagine you're at work, a new, a new person comes to, to join your company, you know. You know what it feels when a new person comes in. Are they going to be nice? Are they going to be, are they going to be horrible? Are they going to be trying to stab you in the back? Are they going to be supportive, yes. you know? And, and you know what that feels like, and that is exactly the same as it might feel if you were a spy or if you were a secret agent or if you were a top, a top government minister or you know any, or a scientist. Any of these things, you know, it, it's it's that that human side of it, you know, it's how it affects people and how it makes them feel. That's that's what what drives all of these things. Exactly. You make you make writing sound easy, but it it can't be easy. <laughs> it can't be that simple. I mean, I guess. I mean, every day that you sit down and write, or do you actually have days where nothing comes? You just feel like you're not creative at all. Well, um, we we try and avoid it. Um, and the thing is that that there's bizarrely, you can't. You, you've got to learn to trust your instincts, uh, but sometimes they're unreliable because you you do have days when you get up and you just think, oh, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm tired, I don't feel good, I'm I'm annoyed about something. You think that for some reason you're not going to be able to do much good work that day, and sometimes those are the days when actually the best things happen. You know, um, so you've just got to put all those kind of things aside and just say it's a job that has to be done. Books don't write themselves. You have got to do it, and so you sit down and you um, and you try. And some days, of course, will be better than others. The worst days of all are the days when you look back at what you did the day before and decide it's no good and have to have to get rid of some of it uh, because uh, nothing worse than ending the day with fewer words than you had to start off with. But um, you know, it can happen. But you just got to keep focused on you know all that really matters is producing the best book you can possibly produce. And if there are a few lean days along the way, then you know, that's just the price you pay. Exactly. And we all, we're all human. We're not perfect. And, you know, things aren't going to hit us right away. Sometimes it takes us. And sometimes we have to relax. And, and, and until things, it's like when somebody asks you a question and you know the answer and you can't think of it. And the more you try to think of it, the worse it gets. Exactly right. Or, you know, the, when, you, when you're trying to find a specific word, you know the word is there in your head somewhere and you just can't, you can't uh, recall it. And the harder you try, the less likely it is to come out. So, yeah, that's where drinking a lot of coffee comes in handy because, uh, you know, if you, if you get into one of those modes, then, uh, you know, if you get up and go and make some more coffee, that's a good chance for, uh, you know, the front of your brain to be occupied by doing something, you know, straightforward like making the coffee and then it pops out yeah forcing the brain doesn't work a lot of times <laughs> it's like it's gonna it's gonna come when it's gonna come and it's like having a baby you know it's, the baby's gonna come when the baby's ready <laughs> exactly yeah but i wonder now they've they've started see uh filming season two of reacher they have that's right yeah so yeah. How, how long does it take to film the whole season i mean how long did it take to film the first one you know, I'm not actually sure, and I think the first one, you know, was difficult because it got disrupted by COVID a lot because, oh. you know, they they originally were going to film it in Georgia because that's where the book was set, but then um, there, there were issues with, with doing that during the pandemic, so it wound up being moved to Canada, and then um, hmm. they, they, they had to have a, 
you know, so they were on a closed set in accommodation where they didn't have contact with anybody else. And then, you know, that made things more complicated if they did need extra people or extra equipment or anything like that. So not really sure how long the first one took. And I think probably it would not necessarily be a representative one anyway. So, um, yeah, I don't know how long this one's, it's underway and everybody's super excited about it. But I, I don't know what the, uh, what the schedule looks like, unfortunately. I wonder, um, where are they filming the second season? Do you know? I don't. <laughs> you see, I'm, I'm not actually involved with the TV. Oh, interesting. It's, it's, it's been, um, that, that's Lee's sort of um, uh, pet, well, it, it, you know, he, he, he grew up out of TV. You know, his first, he worked in TV for many years. So, um, you know, it's a bit like going home for him, having the um, the, the, the series. It's got to be fun. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be a blast. He's loving it, and so he's he's heavily involved. But um, um, I mean, I'm hoping that one day soon they'll they'll get round to uh, to to one of the books that I I worked on being being on the screen. But uh, until then, you know, he's very much dealing with the TV, and I'm I'm uh, I'm concentrating solely on the books. Right. Do you think and this is an, this is a question? Maybe I shouldn't ask you this question. I'm going to anyway. Do you think you could write a Reacher book without your brother? I certainly could if it was you know if it was if he didn't want to do it anymore. But um, part of the thing is you know I would be sad to because we're having such a good time doing it. You know right. it's um, you know when 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 he uh, was getting established as an author and I was I was working in the telecom industry. You know I was I remember thinking God wouldn't it be fun if you know if if I could do the same thing. You know if we could go to the conferences together. You know which which we did wind up doing. But then I had no idea it was going to go down this path, but winding up actually writing the books together as, as well. I mean, doing the thing that you love to do with your brother, it's fantastic. Oh, bad. Especially somebody as famous as your brother and as, as, as generous. I mean, who, who writes more blurs on books than your brother? I mean, he must read every day. <laughs> he does. He does. And he reads phenomenally fast, too, you know, and it's, but it's, it's what he loves to do. And um, now he has a bit more time because um, he doesn't have to do all of the work on, on the writing. He, you know, he's just reading even more because he always said the only downside of being an author is that it eats into your reading time. So now he's got some extra reading time. He's delighted. Yeah, I'd be tempted to say, you know what, I'm going to retire and just read for the rest of my life. I'd be so tempted to do that. I don't know how we would get past that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess you're when you're a writer you're a writer. I mean, how many times did Stephen King say he was going to quit and he never quit? Exactly. Yeah. So he just got weirder on some, in some aspects. He did get weirder, but, you know. But it, 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 writing is a. I mean, it seems like it's in your blood. It's like playing sports. If you play sports, you're going to play sports, and you know it's just there, and you can't get rid of it. And that itch to, to write is always going to be there. I guess. I think it is, you know, and I think it comes down to what I was saying about storytelling. You know, I think that, um, that there's just something in, in people, there's more of it in some people than others. And for me, I didn't really realize until I looked back over my life, you know, because I never set out to be a writer. It was never, the writing part was never the, the goal, but it was always about storytelling. My whole life, since I was a little kid, it was, I was always just obsessed with telling stories one way or the other. And you're such a, you're one of those people that when, when, when we started talking online back and forth, you know, I thought to myself, when well, he's never going to respond, he's a famous author. What does he care about a puny little guy like me? And we started talking back and forth. We started, we, we sort of bonded and it was, it's such a wonderful experience when you bond with somebody you don't even know and you suddenly realize that, you know, there's something there. There's some kind of connection there, you know? Yeah. And that's a great thing that books, books give, isn't it? Because, um, you know, you need, you, you, there's no point writing books if people aren't going to read them. And if people do read them, it's the greatest thing in the world. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it definitely is the um, foundation for, for that kind of connection. You're absolutely I mean, right. It's not like I could call Stephen King or anybody else up and say, you know, hi, how you doing? I expect to even get an answer. But you know, as a reader, it's a thrill when we, we have that closeness with an author that we've been reading for years. I mean, that's, that's to us is a thrill. It probably is a thrill to you, too. Yeah, I think it, it absolutely is because, um, you know, it, books are pointless if people don't read them. And, um, you know, the fact that you would take your, you know, one thing that nobody has enough of is time, right? We're so right. busy. And if you take some of that, your precious time and use it to, to read somebody's book, that's the biggest 
compliment you could possibly pay. So. Right. Now, this book is about, it has to do with prisons. So did you have to do a lot of research in, on prisons? Did you have to look up a lot of stuff on the Internet, or what, what happened there? Well, what we tend to do with, with, with research is, you know, there, there, there is a, a stage where you're looking for detail, and, yeah, we, we had to look up some, some detail stuff. But we feel for, the, you know, the, the sort of the fundamental research, you can't, we, our, our belief is that you can't really do that specifically for the book that you're writing because um, for us, the research that you do needs time to kind of percolate, you know, it needs time to sort of break down so that you can see what the useful and relevant bits are and what the, you know, what the noise is that you need to, to, to tune out. Um, so it, I would say it's a little bit like if, if you want to say you've got a, you've got some uh, some vines growing outside your house, you can go and pick the grapes and you can squeeze them and you can have grape juice right away. But if you want you know a beautiful bottle of wine, that takes years to mature, and it's a bit like that with the research. So we we both we're just very kind of curious people. We just are interested in all kinds of weird stuff, and so typically you, you'll have read something or come across something maybe years ago that's been sitting in the back of your mind, you know, percolating away. And then when you're in doing that thing that we were saying about, you know, what well, what happens next? Who was this woman? Why was she killed? What was going on? Then something that you've read years ago will just sort of suddenly ping to the front of your mind and think, oh, this is a good thing. This fits perfectly. This is the sort of thing that could have been going on. And so, um, yeah, you know, years ago, um, I remember reading a bunch of stuff about different different approaches to prisons, you know, different kinds of prisons, you know, how, how different ones are run and why. And some of that just came, came back into my head. So that wound up being the, uh, you know, the, the thing that everything led to in the book. What, but, what fascinates what, me is the descriptions. I mean, you, you, you describe the prisons like you've actually been there. And, I mean, the walls and everything around, I think, I think they've actually been in prison. <laughs> Not not yourself. I'm just saying you you visited some prison somewhere and, and you got an idea of what they looked like because the descriptions are too are too detailed not to not to you, for you to have visited them at some time. Well, you know, thank you because you know that description part is is the part that I always worry about the most. So um, you know, if, if it if it hit the spot, then I'm absolutely delighted. Thank you. But that's got to be difficult to describe something that maybe you visited like a year. I mean, if you visited years ago, how do you remember that? How do you in that in that detail? Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And do you remember? Do you remember the actors? And there was an English actor called John Gielgud. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you know he's dead now, unfortunately. But I remember seeing an interview with him where somebody was really sort of pushing him about, well, you know, what what is the essence of being an actor? What is what, what is an actor? What's being an actor all about? And he looked at them and he said, an actor is someone who remembers, you know, because I guess what he was meaning was that you know you remember how you feel in different circumstances and then can kind of channel that into the characters that you portray. But I think it's equally true for for authors, you know. I think that the thing that you, what you're really doing is you're sort of filling up this kind of reservoir of, of memories of how things look, how they smell, how they feel, what you know, what it's like to be near them or in them, and then you know being able to um, to draw on that when you need it in in um, to, to sort of describe different scenes or or different settings. So you know it's just a question of somehow being able to uh, to to remember it and then bring it out at the right time. Yeah. And I mean, it just fascinates me, all the descriptions. I, I think, you know, I thought, when I was reading that, I thought, wow, very well done. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, that's not easy. An author, authors, authors can sometimes write books that are very un, not descriptive. It's all about dialogue or it's all about character, which is great, but the descriptions are important, too. I know that um, James Earl, um, who's the guy that, I can't think of his name now, the one who writes the uh, Billy, oh, the Southern books. I can't think of his name. James, James, James Lee Burke. James Lee Burke, yeah. And they say that he describes every blade of grass in his books. And, you know, he's that descriptive that you, you get a description of everything. And it can, it can get too much after a while. But the question is, how much is too much? That's exactly the question. 
question and you know that's where there's no there's no science to it you know it's, it's just an instinctive thing and it also comes down to personal preference you know um, because every author is also a reader so you're used to what you what you what kind of level of balance you enjoy when you're reading um, you know sometimes you feel there's not enough sometimes there's too much um, I think it's really good if you can if you can leave a little bit of room so that the reader can fill in some of the blanks for themselves because then it becomes more of a kind of two-way process you know they're not just sitting back passively while everything is spoon-fed you know whether it be a description of a character or a place you want there to be room for the readers to fill in some of the blanks so that then they kind of take part ownership of it you know it's partly their creation as well but, and you just don't want the descriptions to overtake the story that's the thing that is absolutely right, yeah, because, you know, you want the story to, to you know, and you want the, what the characters are doing to be, for, you know, front and foremost, I think. And the best part about it, one of the best parts about reading is you find a book, and one of the books I think about is that there's a book called What She Knew by Gillian McMillan. I read this book, and I, I could not, I did not want it to end. I was enjoying it that much. You want to enjoy a book so much that you do not want it to end. And how many books like that do we find in our lifetime that that happens with? You know, no, you're, that is perfect, isn't it? That that sense of you know you feel yourself consciously slowing down as you as you're approaching the end because you you want it to last as long as possible. And you know, and, and you don't find. I think I. I mean, I'm I'm sure I've, I've come across a lot more than I can remember. But that's one of the books that I remember thinking, I do not want this book to end. What am I going to do? And how am I going to find a book that's just as good to read right after this? Yeah, that's right. You, you know, that, that is a big problem, isn't it? And some books, I guess, you, you, won't give, you don't quite give them a fair go because of the thing that they're following. You know, some books just can't be followed. Exactly. What was the last book you read that you felt that way about, that you didn't want to end? There's been a few. I don't know if I can really put my finger on one in particular, but, um, you know, I absolutely agree with you about that feeling. You know, that's the best feeling of all. It is. I mean, I, and I was sitting in a restaurant and reading this book, and I thought, oh, I'm, in, I'm in heaven right now. I don't, I don't care what anybody says to me right now. I'm just going to enjoy my book because that's really all I care about right now. <laughs> and it's a great feeling. I mean, who doesn't enjoy that? I mean, and, and you, don't get, you don't get that from TV as much. You do get it a little bit, but, but books somehow transport you into a place that you don't want to leave sometimes. No, I agree. You know, the, 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 you know, a well-done TV show or movie is a wonderful thing. But you know, I think for me anyway, it's always going to be. You know, books would always be my number one choice. So are we? I assume that Jack Reacher will never get married. Is that is that a, is that a fair assumption? I think it is. Yeah. yeah. And why? Why do you think that is? Just because he's a, a drifter? It's part, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it sort of works, I think it's essential really on two levels. You know, one of them is that, you know, Reacher really is a kind of, is a version of the, of the um, immortal um, character type of, of the, you know, the, the knight errant, you know, who will turn up, solve a problem, and leave. And the key part of that that makes that work is that he leaves. It, it wouldn't work, it, you know, it wouldn't be the same if, if some guy, you know, you're, you're having this terrible problem, some guy shows up and solves it, and then he moves in next door, you know. Because what are you supposed to do? Do you have to go and mow his lawn every Saturday, you know? <laughs> you know, it, it wouldn't work. The dynamic only works if he leaves. And if he, and, and you know, Reacher in particular has this very kind of, chaotic and anarchic way of deciding where he goes next it's on a whim you know it's where, where is the next bus going if he sees a town name that sounds intriguing you'll go and you'll, you'll go and look you know and visit you know how could you have two people who have that exact same uh, you know anarchic way of, of doing their, their planning their travel you couldn't it wouldn't work and you know it would be boring if you got into something where they're squabbling all the time about where they go next or they have some kind of you know way of taking turns none of that would work so you know i think for reacher to continue to be reacher he, he kind of has to be on his own and he has to have that tension between being a little bit worried about is he going to be lonely but actually never being lonely you know
know. So. But it's kind of, a, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the term is, but it's kind of interesting to realize, you know, how how wonderful would that kind of a life be, where you just go from town to town, you clean up the town, and you go to the next town and clean that one up, and and you just keep doing that over and over and over again, and you never really settle down, you never really get bored because you're always you're always with something new and interesting. Exactly, yeah, and even, I mean, Richard would be happy if there was no cleaning up to be done, he would ju he'd be happy just going to new places, checking them out, staying a day or two, and then moving on, you know, because he doesn't, it's another important thing about Richard is that he doesn't go looking for the trouble, but, you know, if trouble finds him, he, he, he's incapable of walking away, he has to right any wrongs that he finds. Right. Before you started co-writing, did you have a favorite Reacher book? Did you have one that, that, that stood out as one of your favorites? Or did you... Or, yeah. or do you not say that to your brother because you're afraid you might offend him? No, not at all. I mean, you know, he, he feels the same about, you know, the, 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 all the different ones. But I, I always kind of cheat very slightly with that because really there are two that, that, um, that stand out for me. One of them is Killing Floor, the first one, you mm -hmm. know, um, really just down to the circumstances when I read it. Because, you know, I think, I think we said before, you know, I, I had a good job at the time. He was out of work. Uh, he had a family to look after, a mortgage to pay, and his his way of doing this was was that he was going to write books. So when he when he sent me the manuscript to look at, um, I was terrified because if it was no good, not only would I be the one having to call my brother and say, "No, your book is terrible," which wouldn't be a fun thing to do anyway, but also the repercussions of that, you know, because he wouldn't have any money, and I'd be thinking, well, do I have to let him come and live in my spare room, or am I going to have to send him food parcels, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. So, you know, like, of course, it was a fantastic book, and reading it was, was just a wonderful experience, so that that is always one of them, and then the, the other one for me, I think, is um, Killing Floor, uh, sorry, is, um, is Make Me, would be the other one I would pick, because... Um, I think that over the years, Lee, you know, I know from first-hand experience how much effort and attention he puts into literally every word in those books. You know, there's not a single one that goes in without being considered and chosen and thought about. And um, the, the, like we were saying before about the, the, the mechanism, it being something that you don't necessarily see, you just enjoy the result of it. I think over the years he hasn't always been given the credit he deserves for the craft, you know, that, that um, you know, you, you, you hear particularly in, in places that are all about, you know, the so-called literary stuff, you know, you know, they'll be like, well, you know, this Lee Child book, you know, yes, sure enough, you started reading it and then it grabbed you and it, the story pulled you all the way through to the end and you couldn't put the book down and, but, but you know, they don't, they don't give credit for the fact that that's not a coincidence, that is because it is written that way very specifically and very carefully. And I think Make Me, the prose in that book, you know, it's got everything else that you want in a Reacher book, you know, it's got a mystery, it's got Reacher figuring it out, it's got lots of people who have to have their asses kicked as a result, you know, it's got everything you want in a Reacher book. But on top of that, I think the, the, the prose is just even better than, than it is in, in in his other books, so that would be the other one I would go. So Lee never comes back to you and says, "Well, why didn't? You, why do you like those two? Why not the other ones? What, what was wrong with my other books?" Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, again, I mean, I think he's he's happy that you know anybody likes any of his books. And that's you know, and, and I think Janice Lehane said one time, he said, "I don't care. You can you can love or hate my books, and just don't be apathetic toward them." Exactly. Yeah. Better better to hate them than to be you know lukewarm. Yeah. And you know, writers change over the years, and his writing, his, I mean, Dennis Lehane's writing has definitely changed over the years. It's definitely different than when he was writing Mystic River, I and mean, to me. Yeah. But I, but I feel weird saying that because, you know, if I'm interviewing an author and I say, you know, your writing's changed, it's not as good as it used to be, I would be embarrassed to say that to a writer. And, and, and I guess that's just, you know, I don't want to hurt their feelings. But sometimes you, you feel the need to be honest, too, you know what I mean? I do, yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because sometimes people change direction. And, you know, you, as a reader, you might prefer the previous direction to the new direction. But, um, you know, it, it would be interesting to find out why, you know, why the author changed. Yeah, exactly. You get to get to the nitty gritty. You know, why are your, why is your writing different? Why does it feel different? What, to me, I mean, me, am I crazy? Am I the one that's, <laughs> that doesn't know what, that doesn't 
I don't know. Am I the one that, that's 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 not right somehow, or, or what is it? What what exactly? And there's a very famous writer, and I'm not going to mention her name, but who has written and her books have totally changed for me, and I I can't even read them anymore, and and it bothers me. You know, it bothers me a lot, and because I'm not used to writers and having writers that I suddenly can't read anymore. Yeah, and it is disappointing, isn't it? Because if you find a writer that you like and then you look forward to the next book coming out, um, it, it is a shame if, if it's no longer to your taste. It is. It's a disappointment. Right. Do you, I, I don't want you to mention any names, but do you have writers that you have found that with? Well, I've, I've certainly known writers or known their work that, that, that you can see that noticeable change. And um, I, I, it, it, not to the point where I was super disappointed, but certainly to the point where I wished I could sit down with them and say, listen, what, you know, what has changed? Is it that you, is this what you wanted to do all along and was kind of forced by commercial reasons to do something different initially? Or, you know, has something happened in your life that suddenly you change, you're, you're interested? I'd just love to know more than anything. Right. I think of Girl on the Train and how much I enjoyed that book, but I, I haven't been able to get into her other books. And, you know, I, that wasn't the person I was thinking of, but it, it's coming to my mind right now. Sometimes you just don't like the style of the writing, and, and maybe it's different. From, maybe the idea was to make it so different. Maybe they wanted to write something so different, but you know, it either works or it doesn't work for a person. Exactly. And, um, you know, personally, I never kind of, I, I, I always let the, the, the story kind of dictate what, how, how the book's written, and, you know, you just got to hope that, that that's going to be the right thing to do. Right. So you're already writing the next Reacher book. You know what it's about. And do you know the whole story, or do you just know the beginning of the story? Yeah, at this stage, we, we only know the beginning. So essentially, we know how Reacher gets himself into trouble, but uh, we haven't figured out um, how he gets out of it again yet. So uh, that's. Um, so what if, what if you get to the point where he can't get out of it? Then what do you do? Do you start over again? Well, yeah, that, that's, 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 that's always the gamble, isn't it, for everyone? You know, so far he has always managed to get out of it. And um, I think actually that's, that's something that really helps with the writing because, you know, there's no, the, if, if, I always find that if you back yourself into a corner, you know, if you, if you, you know, really set yourself a, a, a massive challenge, that's, that's when you're forced to do your best writing. And is that fun though, or is it more frustrating? It's it's a little frustrating and it's a little scary, you know. And sometimes you're kind of, you know, kicking yourself, thinking, God, well, you know, why, why did I put him in this? How did I get him into this mess? It's so hard to get him out of again. But um, I really do think that it does lead to um, doing doing your best work if you are forced to um, to, to to work really hard to to, uh, to get him out. And one thing that we we always we always commit at the beginning that we won't ever go back and like you know change something to make it easier to get him out of trouble you know we always say well you know we, we stand by those early decisions and if that makes it harder later then so be it right exactly i mean reacher seems to be indestructible he's saying he's like a superman almost and and yet you, there, there's like nobody that could ever defeat him <laughs> But and that's the that's the thrill of it. If there was somebody, I think the readers would be disappointed, don't you think? I think they would, yeah. Um, but you know, making it, you know, re repeatedly coming up with somebody that is almost good enough, but but not quite, is it, really tough because it would be no good if if, if it was a walkover. You know, it would be no good if Richard was just you know instantly defeating everybody without even breaking a sweat. That's no good. So. Well, it's interesting that he has a conscience, too, Reacher. He doesn't kill any innocent people. I mean, that's the idea. And I think, wasn't there a book, one of the books, where he did kill somebody innocent? I think, I think there was at one point something that happened where accidentally somebody got killed. Wasn't there one? It could be. There was certainly, um, with, with the Slater, it was set up to make it look like he'd done that. But then it, it turned out that that was, um, that was all a ruse. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But, you know, that's why I sometimes, um, you know, leaked this a couple of times, and um, in, in the Sentinel we tried to do it again, which is where you can use a sort of an external factor as a, almost as a, as a villain, you know, almost as another challenge for Reacher, you know, 61 hours, for example. Um, we found about, out about this, this crazy old military installation where the, the 
but so actually in that environment Richard's size suddenly became instead of being his huge strength it became a, an enormous disadvantage so you know and then we, we, with the Sentinel we tried to do it where um, Richard was coming across this this um, world of cyber crime that he just had no idea about didn't understand even the basic concepts of it so just trying to use other things as a way of leveling the playing field to give the bad guys a bit more of a chance alright so I'm curious do you do you or Lee have ideas for other series you would like to do and haven't done yet I mean are there ideas in your head for something different well I've still got some ideas for you know the series I was working on before I, I joined Lee you know I was working on I call it the janitor series you know with the, my hero Paul McGrath who worked at the courthouse in New York I've got I've got plenty more ideas for, for that series um, I don't think at least Lee over the years we've, we've chatted about it and he's you know he's had various ideas for for standalones that, that he's thought about but I don't think he was ever too serious about about actually writing them you know so we won't see a standalone from Lee at all I mean I guess never say never but I, I wouldn't I would be surprised if he did you know I think that um, he's more interested I mean he you know Reacher was his thing you know that's, that's you know, he always said you know he was the Reacher guy that's, that's what he did and um, I think that's a really that was a conscious decision because um, it, it's really helpful if um, if readers know what to expect and know what you do you know you were saying before about it being disappointing if you if a writer an author's writing changed you know and I think Lee was conscious of that same thing and he thought well you know it, it, it was very fortunate that, that people liked Reacher what if you wrote something different and they didn't like that you know you exactly. wouldn't want that you know but at the same time I, I'm curious as to what it would be like to read another something else by Lee Child something yeah. completely different I would I would be interested too yeah so how many of those stories that you have ideas for do you think are going to get written? Well, I really don't know because it's um, the Reacher stuff has, has just taken all my time since we, um, since we started doing it together. And so um, I don't know if, you know if or when I'll be able to settle into a, into a rhythm where I've, I've got enough time to do it justice. I hope I will, but it would be very, I, I, can't, I can't say when that would be at the moment. Right. Is there an interest from a publisher to do it? I mean, would you be able to, do you think it would be, I'm sure with your name and what you've accomplished, that it wouldn't be any trouble having uh -huh. that book published. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you to say. I hope, I hope that's the case. I would, um, but, um, you know, that, that's a bridge that we would, we would need to cross. Do we know how old Jack Reacher is, or are we supposed to know how old he is? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not something that's advertised, but, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's sort of focused on. But yeah, in, in a couple of the books, um, it's, it's mentioned essentially when he, when he was born and therefore how old he would be. But um, that is an interesting question because you do get into that, that very difficult um, issue of, well, <laughs> what do you do about his age? You know, do, do you assume that because each book comes out a year after the previous one that he's a year older and, you know, therefore is starting to get a little bit, <laughs> a little bit you know, close to retirement? or to just kind of ignore it and um, the decision we've taken is, is really to I mean it's there if people if people look for it they can find it but we, we choose to just kind of ignore it because who wants to read about Reacher you know old and, and wrinkly and staggering about with a walking frame you know well, I wonder when they when they hired Alan Richmond did, did they have a certain age in mind or are they just looking with him I guess it's a certain look he just looks like a strong bully type guy you know I, I hate to say Jack Reacher's a bully but you know some sort of like that I mean not yeah you know, because, because yeah I mean he, he certainly uses his, his size and his strength to uh, to solve problems but I think as you said before he, he does have that moral conscience so you know he doesn't just you know lay into somebody who has done nothing wrong you know you, if, if you've done nothing wrong if you're a good guy then you have nothing to fear from Reacher he'll always help you but uh, if you're bad or if you're horrible or if you're a bully yourself then uh, you know you, you, you're going to regret it when Reacher blows and then, then there's the question of has Jack Reacher ever been fully in love with another with a woman yeah that's a, that's a good one I mean I think you know in that respect Reacher's quite sort of philosophical and I think he would you know he would um, he would 
would have to figure out exactly what that, that meant, really, before he would be able to answer it. Or what he would do if, if he had two different situations come up in two different towns, both needing his help, who would he, who would he go to first? I mean, given that moral dilemma about which one do I help first, you know, that would be yeah. an interesting plot sometime, too. Yeah. It would be, yeah, add that element of dilemma. That would be really good, yeah. And just have him, well, if he doesn't help the one, what's, what are the consequences? Of course, he, see, he always seems to know what to do. I mean, we always, we, we rely on him to know what to do and when to do it. And that seems to be the Reacher quality, you know, he, that's who he is. Exactly, and, and I think part of the thing that readers really like is the, like, I've heard a lot of people talk about how they like to think along with Reacher, you know, because Lee was always really good at, at breaking down Reacher's thought process and, and, <laughs> and laying it out step by step. So that, um, uh, and that's something that was lost really in the movies because of the fact you had so little time to play with. Um, with the TV, you can do it much more because you have you have much more. You have like eight hours or something, you know, to to develop every everything. Because in the books, it's a real strength the fact that you can see exactly how Reacher joins the dots and how he draws the conclusions. And it's a really satisfying thing to kind of go through that with him. You know, exactly. something that seems really complicated or really baffling at the beginning, and then by the time Reacher has analysed it and, and figured it all out, all of a sudden it seems logical and, and, and sensible so you know as a reader I love that right does Lee ever get noted when he walks down the street do people recognize him sometimes yeah sometimes they do yeah that's, in, uh, that's interesting. Well, he did he ever appear on? I mean, he's appeared. He's had little parts. In, I know the first season of Reacher, he had a little part in. But has he ever been on any other TV shows? No, I mean he had the little. He had the little, similar thing. He had a little cameo in each of the movies. But that that was um, as far as I know. That's that's all he's done in in that way. Right. Exactly. But he still gets recognized every once in a while. Once in a while he does, yeah, because, um, you know, the pictures are on the book jackets and, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes people people connect, yeah. Do you, when do you pick the title of the book? I mean, the new book, when when will you pick, or have you already picked the title? Yeah, we already have, um, and um, really that comes back to the way that we that we start, you know, we, we try to come up with something, you know, with a feel, overall feel for the book and then try to come up with a title that sort of reflects that. And I always like the title, I, I like the title to, to be relevant, you know, some, sometimes um, titles just seem like they're, they're plucked out of the air just because they sound cool, but they don't really have anything to do with the story. And I always really like the, the title to have a solid, concrete connection with, with the story and um, I think they, they, they all the ones I've done so far have um, and the, the one for this next book um, it absolutely does so uh, it's going to be it's, it's really fun working it through I'm really enjoying it. Can you tell me how many words it is in the title? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's try to to see how how close you can get to the title without them telling you. Yeah, I mean I think it's gonna be revealed fairly soon because I, I might I might be wrong about this, but I think that um they might be gonna reveal it fairly soon after the launch of uh, of No Plan B. So hopefully not long to wait now. Well it's it's been we've almost been talking for an hour and it seems like, you know, you're just like a, the most wonderful person to talk to. I feel like I can ask you anything and that's it's a wonderful feeling and <laughs> The book again, October 25th, No Plan B. I love the blue cover, by the way. Yeah, I think they did a great job. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always it's slightly nerve-wracking, I think, as an author, waiting to see what's, um, what, what, the, what, what concepts come out for the cover. Does, he, does, Jack, does Lee or you get all the titles from the other countries, too? I mean, do, you, do they send you every book from every country? They do, they do, yeah. And sometimes they're a little, you know, it takes a while sometimes for them to come through. And, of course, sometimes they, they change the titles in other countries because sometimes there are different connotations to the words. And, you know, some, actually they, they um, often send them to us with a post-it note on telling us, you know, which country because it's hard, you know, we, we're not fluent in, in, in all of the different languages. So it's really cool to uh, see the, the different um the, the way they look and also the the, the way the titles are 
Oh, that would be weird. But they're all they're all written the same. I mean, nothing's changed in the different countries, is it? I mean, as far as plots or anything. No, absolutely not. No. I mean, you've got some minor differences, like um, even between the U.S. and the U.K. You know, because you've got some spelling differences and you right. know, some, some slight vocabulary differences. You know, sidewalks and pavements and bonnets and hoods and those kind of things. So there's some of those things get changed, but the the fundamentals of the of the plot and the characters are absolutely the same. Andrew, you're just the most wonderful person. You really are. And I don't just say that because we're talking. I just feel always so comfortable talking to you, and it's such a it's such a wonderful thing. Well, thank you, but you know, it's it's a lot down to what you do because if you don't come up with great questions, it's impossible to to give any kind of an answer. So right, exactly. But thank you. <laughs> and the book again is called No Plan B, and you get it on October 25th. Thank you so much, Andrew. And this this has been DavisBook.com. and we'll talk to you next time. Absolutely, I cannot wait. Let's uh, let's hope that the year passes just as fast, and uh, I cannot wait to be doing this again. Yes, indeed. Goodbye, everyone. You have just enjoyed the podcast of David's Book Talk, brought to you by your host, book lover, David English. Please visit us at davidbooktalk.com, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe to our podcast. We want to hear from you, and we don't want you to miss our upcoming shows with top authors like Mary Higgins Clark, Patricia Cornwell, Lisa Scottolini, Jackie Collins, Nelson DeMille, Michael Connolly, Sue Grafton, Steve Martini, Dale Brown, David Baldacci.